everyone. Hello, hi. This place, uh, this land where we are all gathered right now is the traditional land of the Bunwarang and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And places like this, but also this place in particular that is close to the Yarra, uh, where it extends down there, uh, this place, places like the uh, gardens behind Parliament, uh, places all along Birangmar on the other side of the Yarra, um, the place that is now uh, Treasury Gardens uh, down there, or what's that other garden called that I forget? Flagstaff, the, the, the one we always forget because, you know, except Flagstaff, the Flagstaff Gardens uh, in particular has been a gathering place uh, for people for longer than we can possibly imagine places of talking and celebrating and mourning and uh, exchanging ideas. And so when we gather at places like this, when we gather at places that are unceded uh, Aboriginal land, um, we honour those stories in the way that we exchange our stories. And I extend my respects to elders past and present. And we're here tonight to talk about uh, contemporary advocacy for the arts for contemporary times, to talk about... How do we celebrate and champion the arts on a national level? And how don't we? And how should that be happening? We know that art animates our minds and changes our lives. We know that artistic practice uh, inspires us, whether we're practitioners or audience members, uh, to perceive things differently, to take risks that we wouldn't otherwise have taken, to engage in political conversations or to even dip into the, the ethics and the politics of a complex situation in ways that we would not otherwise have done, to perceive and to use our senses in different ways, to engage with the world and with communities and individuals who we might not have heard of or experienced the perception of. We experience art and we see art in ways that remind us that we're alive, that give us a visceral sense of something, that engage our senses in different ways and that excite us and make us angry and challenge us. And for many of us, a life that didn't include um, art, music, writing, literature, architecture, artistic practice, it would be unimaginable. And we so rarely talk about the value of the arts publicly. We so rarely uh, hear political leaders talking about arts and cultural practice, about the role of government, for example, in developing the policies that facilitate the creation of our culture, which, when we think about it, is the whole point of government. I mean, yes, we elect people to... Uh, you know, make the trams, the trams run and, 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 you know, roads and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, we expect governments to promote the public good. And when that's not happening, it's up to all of us to articulate and champion the public good. So, um, hello, welcome, stay, come, come in from the rain. <laughs> My name is Esther Natalitas. I'm the executive director of NAVA. NAVA is a national association for the visual arts. And NAVA's role, um, well, is to do some, if not all of that, together with a whole bunch of people. NAVA's role is to uh, champion the contemporary arts, to support 
um, artists who are members to be able to sustain their practice, but to do a whole bunch of stuff across membership and, and professional development and advocacy to, to strengthen the, the, the contemporary arts. And something that... Um, you know, we're going to be doing a lot more of, hopefully, with, with all of you, is to be better and stronger and more articulate advocates for the arts so that it remains... Well, I was going to say remains part of the national conversation. Maybe it's dropped off. I'm sure we've got a whole lot of frustrations <laughs> about where the national arts conversation is at. Um, but there's a lot, I think, that we can all do together to build that up um, and it's certainly, you know, it has been Nava's job for, you know, more than 30 years uh, to do just that. So what I wanted to do tonight is for all of us to have a conversation, which is going to, you know, seem strange and awkward because we're in this lovely amphitheatre and there's a microphone and that's clearly very scary because it makes your voice very loud. Um, but we have got, you know, a... Um, uh, a microphone that, that will rove about um, and I'm hoping that we'll all get to talk together because what I want to talk to you about is um, some of the advocacy plans that we've got for this year in order just to really get the arts on the national agenda. And the first thing that we would like to do is for the first sitting week of Parliament this year. So, you know, Parliament... Uh, the lower house and the upper house in Canberra, they um, have these weeks where the House of Representatives and the Senate is in session and then there's weeks when they're not in session when MPs should be like out in their electorates doing good things with, with, with people and, you know, earning their keep. Um, but their first sitting week is um, next week. Um, it's the 5th to the 8th... The 5th to the 8th of February is when they begin. And so there's a whole bunch of bills, a whole bunch of legislation before the parliament that has been there, it's sort of carried over from last year. And that, of course, is, I mean, you know, it's a sort of an arbitrary start to, to, at the, the, the beginning of the year, you know, they'll be looking at a whole bunch of things which, because they are legislation that's gone before the parliament, um, they are right now the most important things before, you know, our elected members. There's bills that are about um, uh, terrorism. There's bills that are about sort of, you know, there's sort of, there's some financial regulation stuff, there's some immigration stuff. Um, there are, you know, things that aren't particularly controversial and things that are controversial. But this week, uh, all the MPs' offices are preparing for the first sitting week. What questions are they going to ask in question time? How are they going to respond to the questions that the others ask? You know, what's on the agenda? How are they going to talk about that bill? So all these conversations are happening that are about uh, Parliament getting through this, starting the year talking about the biggest things on the agenda. And then, at the same time, all over Australia, artists are developing, putting the finishing touches on work that they're about to show next week, or that maybe has opened this week or the week after next week, you know, at around this time. And that work, artists have been thinking about for probably years and years. What will I choose to make work about at this time? What is the most current, the most timely, you know, it might be about an issue that is currently political, it might be about something that engages with great rigour 
with that particular discipline that the artist has been working on. It might be something that is, um, has primarily um, a focus on discipline, on materiality, on that kind of rigour. It might be something that is deeply personal. It might be something that a group of artists have collaborated on and through that process have come to articulate something that is the most compelling, the most current, um, the question, the provocations that need to be put out at this time next week. So what is that artistic agenda? What is that cultural agenda? If we could somehow look at and hear from what is happening that week, if we could, you know, find a way to get, like, some kind of critical mass of all the provocations and all the questions that artists are posing for us next week, then what kind of sense would we get of a national cultural agenda, a national ethical agenda, a national political agenda? What does the voice of the artist tell us about our contemporary times about what is most pressing and important and interesting and how can all of we, how can we all propel and kind of push that and make that a national focus. And so next week we're going to be asking everyone to uh, use a hashtag, Arts Agenda, and, um, and just share what work is being shown obviously across all social media, but we're also asking people to give their local member a call and say, hey, uh, I've got, you know, you're in Parliament this week, uh, you know, <laughs> good luck with that, uh, but I've got this show opening which is actually in your electorate and this is what it's about and I'd love it if you would, you know, say something about it in Parliament would be great. Um, but, you know, you might want to tweet about it, use social media, have a conversation with someone about it. Um, I'm also seeking uh, comments from a whole bunch of politicians, all the sort of usual suspects and some of the, the peripheral ones, about explicitly comparing that first sitting week to uh, an, an arts agenda as well. Excuse me. So it's a very simple premise. It's, it's about getting the advocacy here going, you know, with a bit of a bang. Nava is also looking at, as a few of us were saying earlier, uh, we're looking at what our uh, national campaign and advocacy priorities are for the whole year at the moment. And um, you may have seen, or you might not have, because I don't think we promoted it too much, but we, we, we have already done a bit of a refresh of our overall policy position, which is on the website, and that'll be kind of restructured a bit in the next little sort of few weeks as well. Um, but we're looking at different focuses at different months of, um, you know, because it's so important um, for an advocacy focus to be um, reactive and responsive when something happens that we can kind of move fast and um, either defend artists' rights or get a contemporary arts and a visual arts perspective on a particular issue. But we also have to, as we were saying earlier, raise the bar. We have to um, be clear about what our particular advocacy priorities are for the whole year and do what we can to really sustain um, a really strong national conversation that does keep setting a standard and, and raising the bar and making the arts and cultural conversation a normal part of the public kind of political conversation. So that's a sort of down-the-track conversation. But while we're all here, 
I thought it would be really fantastic to hear from you with the scary microphone um, and tell me what you're working on at the moment and what work of yours uh, will be showing that week. And maybe if it's not your own work, there might be others who, like, you know, you, you know that at your favourite gallery this, this will be showing. Um, and because we had a bit of a chat, can I ask you first? <laughs> to to share, we'll get the microphone to you, <laughs> just to put you on the spot. Okay. Tell us about your work, and um, I guess t tell us about it, but then also tell us why now. Why are you focusing on those really sure. important issues now? Okay. Um, my name's Ruth, and I'm from a small coastal town in Western Australia. Um, my work since the middle of 2016 has been entirely focused on the issue of refugees in offshore detention. Um, I started out with a very personal project which only appeared publicly on my blog where I write a, le a daily letter to the Prime Minister. Um, Amazing. I have to confess I'm a little behind because Melbourne has been a distraction, but that's all right. <laughs> I do allow myself to... Um, fall a bit behind and catch up. I also, and I handwrite those letters individually and mail them to him. So I'm up to about 540 now. Oh my goodness. Um, the town I live in has an incredibly active arts program and one of the things they have is a week-long festival in the middle of the year which is called the Festival of the Voice. And I was invited to have the letters that I'd written up to that time, which was nearly a year's worth of letters, read aloud as a public performance. Um, volunteers read them out. And I also um, had, a, in the same weekend, a show opening in an RE in Perth, which is called Paper Mountain, um, which was uh, not specifically related to the issue of offshore refugees and offshore detention, but it was a way of asking people to reflect on how they come to be in Australia because I was trying to break down the idea that people who arrive by boats now are the other as opposed to us. Um, and I am currently about to embark on a work which will be part of a show called Stations of the Cross in um, the Wesley Church, which is held every Easter in Perth. And that is uh, somewhat ambitious, um, where I am trying again to engage with people who don't normally engage with contemporary art practice, and by getting them to work on cloth that I will be weaving, um, to express how they feel about refugees. And although I have an extremely strong feelings on the subject, what I'm trying to do with this aspect of my work is open a space where people who might have polar opposite opinions to me mm. can at least be in the same room and maybe even if the word that they generate is something like fear, I can make a space for them to express that because one of the things that I feel that the politicians have really played on is um, stigmatising and... Um, um, by othering the people who are trying to seek asylum in Australia, they take away their humanity and their individual stories and I'm hoping to um, 
make some kind of connection because I've got to tell you, writing letters to the Prime Minister is not making any effect at all as far as I can tell. I wonder though, I mean, is it, have you, have you pursued what the response has been? Obviously you've not received a response or that, that would have been an indication. Uh, I, I've had no response from the Prime Minister's office. I have had five letters from the Department of Immigration and Border Protection, um, very formulaic and... Uh, um, it's been a very interesting process because the, the situation has greatly deteriorated and um, I've learnt quite a lot about how dysfunctional Australian politics is and how we're actually not a democracy, I believe, and I didn't understand that when I started this work in such a clear way. Um, and I don't know how to engage with that through my art practice and I'm interested to hear if other people are working with their art practice in a very strongly political way, either advocating or protesting. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that is a good question for, for, for everyone. Um, is anyone working on something at the moment that is strongly political, that is engaging with democracy or the problem of it or the lack thereof? Over here. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name's Lucas Maddock. I'm an um, uh, arts practitioner and have been for a long time. Um, in my second, beginning my second year of uh, secondary high school teaching now, um, which I see as an extension of my practice, mm. um, so seeing art pedagogy as an, ex, as an extension, um, and also activism as well around arts issues. Mm. Um, so I'm a member of a... Uh, committee called the Artist Committee, who have been yeah. um, pretty active in the last sort of few months, and it's just the tip of the iceberg for us. We're just gathering momentum, mm. um, so we're really looking at sort of um, any or uh, look. At, everyone in the group has a diff- slightly different view, but my view is to look at any sort of ethics issues that affect the arts. I've, I've worked in activism in a broad, a broad capacity, but I've decided to bring it right back into visual arts now because it's my area of expertise. Um, <clears throat> um, so, yeah, really looking at the institutions that have supported me, um, that I've shown at, that I've worked at, um, the networks that I have and what are the issues that are facing um, the sector, essentially. And these are concerns that have... You know, I've, I've, I've come to this point after maybe 10 or 15 years of practice where some things have really gotten under my skin um, and it's kind of come to that point where enough is enough. Mm. Um, working in the education side of the sector has changed things a little bit for me because I'm less reliant on those networks to keep my career going now. Um, so I can, I'm privileged to be able to speak out against them <laughs> for the first time in my life, which feels awesome. Um, um, but yeah, it's been a really interesting exercise and, you know, particularly thinking now about how to introduce students to the arts, what I'm introducing them to, how things have changed in the last sort of 10 or 15 years um, has really sort of got me thinking about, um, about that. So yeah, um, a lot of refugee stuff with um, the NGV and Wilson security, um, but also la- which I see as, as, as fitting into a much sort of larger problem in the arts, which is a, a, a lack of ethical accountability, um, um, which I know if there's any 
over there it's neglected any kind of policy towards anything ethical is is way down on the agenda um, and that's um, sort of churns me up basically well yeah of course I mean it's um, oh yeah there is so much to respond to there I'm going to work through a bit of it and hang out with oh and then that lady um, and hang out with some of your colleagues on Wednesday I think yes, yes. Um, but that's so two things that you just said there that really intrigued me. But first of all, um, the sort of the, the, the act or the, the sort of, you know, it's practice of being a secondary teacher, being a teacher as being an extension of your practice, which I just think is incredibly important. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if um, anyone and everyone who took up the role of being a teacher uh, took that on as a... Um, a kind of an ethical apparatus, I guess. I mean, the pedagogy of the next generation is one of the most important responsibilities that, that this generation has. And teaching is about so much more than conveying a curriculum or kind of, you know, being the, being the sort of medium of its transmission. So that's, that is fascinating. Um, that is deeply interesting. And then... What you say about um, you know the, the decline of ethical standards, but the the fact that um, key public institutions don't seem to publicly prioritise you know the the ethics of what they do. This is a huge, huge focus for NAVA, as you know, uh, and um, part of our role, um, which we really need to uh, strengthen, is to set and maintain the standards by which the sector works through the codes of practice that we're going to spend the next few years revising and in, you know, kind of shorter-term ways as well. But... It is, you know, you, you, you may have seen from the Australia Council research that came out late last year that between now and the previous sort of five-year period, which we'll be discussing on Saturday at an all-conference event at M Pavilion from one o'clock... Not M Pavilion, at... at yeah. At, at Contemporary Arts Precinct, Collingwood Arts Precinct from two o'clock on Saturday. We were talking about... Um, the, the theme is Zero Wage, which is the name of a Czech campaign which has been um, put forward by a group of artists and then signed by hundreds of um, artists and practitioners and uh, practitionary luminaries and just extraordinary people. But it's about um, uh, advocacy and research in the arts and how we kind of, you know, take the next steps from that. But one of the awful things to have come out of that Australia Council research is that in the last sort of five years, um, the standards that were already pretty shitful around uh, artists' pay, around artists getting paid at all, um, around contracting and artist rights and so on, but also gender disparity. It's all got a lot worse. Um, and so that period has coincided with the time after the Brandis raid and the, you know, the really unexpected and completely baseless you know, uh, disruption and then cuts to policy and, and, and funding. Um, and so it's, you know, this is absolutely the time for us all to be getting galvanised and talking about exactly those things. Um, but let me ask you, in your practice as a teacher, um, oh, what's the way to put this? Um, do you kind of, do you find that, first of all, what's your subject that you teach? Uh, visual arts, so many subjects across that broad yeah. spectrum. Yeah. And do you, do you find that um, you infuse your whole approach with 
the ethics and the values that are you? Or do you find that you're kind of... Um, are you... Are you selectively engaging with and not engaging with certain things? Are there times where you feel compromised as a teacher of curriculum? How does that sit for you as someone for whom that is an extension of practice? Um, I think the context of a school necessitates a certain um, certain standards or, or certain yeah. a, certain approaches. So I'm a very different person in that environment than I am outside. Um, so I wouldn't let my politics come to the fore in the classroom. Mm. Um, and, but it comes out in, in different ways. So, so it's about encouraging critical thought and about encouraging um, independent inquiry and teaching how that happens. Um, mm. So it is, it is very awkward. I'll be protesting here one day and then doing a student tour the next. And it's sort of one hat comes on, one hat comes off um, but it's a, it's, it's a juggle that I embrace, it is just a different context but it's a, I see it as an equally powerful mm. measure let the students come up with their own ideas, let them find the issues uh, let them thrash them out, um, which is essentially what I do as well, so I don't I'm not dogmatic with students um, but I will, I will steer them towards uh, quality material and encourage Decent engagement. <laughs> Thank you. Let us pass the microphone to this lady. And I mean, that's really what that, that you know, fostering critical inquiry is, um, you know, in and of itself um, can be a radical act when we think about um, what the curriculum is there to, to foster. Um, so, yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. Hello. Um, I've got to disclose that I come from design practice, um, so I, I'm an architect by training and by discipline. Our focus as an organisation is visual and media art, craft and design, and have many members who are architects, and as you know, it's my background also, so that is good. Okay. You are among friends. It was a disclaimer, but... Um, <laughs> As part of what I do, I teach final year university students mm. and I get to design the brief under which we propose a design question. And last semester I did um, Give a Damn, which was about interrogating public space and institutional buildings and our mistrust and our increasing mistrust and apathy towards democracy and whether or not this was a design problem in terms of placing value or importance within our institutional buildings and whether they need to be redesigned. And I guess I'm sort of tapping into a commentary about apathy within the younger generations, I guess, because um, I've found that they don't really have an opinion or they're not necessarily angry about things. Mm. Um, and I just thought that was an important design discussion. And I got some fabulous projects out of it, and I think... Um, fabulous questions around how we visualise ourselves within space. And I think having that discussion with the work's really important and I'm sort of frustrated by um, some of the exhibitions on at the moment in terms of Instagram and that sort of thing where artworks are dealing with very serious issues but are sort of taken as um, graphic pick bait that I'm probably as um, guilty of... And I wonder, as an advocacy in the value, when you're talking about the value of art practice, how you make as sexy 
the inquiry that goes into that and whether that's a technology question or I guess these events formulate, um, they're the environment in which the discussion gets had um, but they don't necessarily form the way something's promoted or I don't, I don't know. That, I, I just was leading on from the, the point of view of democracy and, and that's an interest... Yeah. Of mine. That is the fundamental question of um, what makes advocacy for the arts so difficult. Because, um, you know, how do we get uh, sexy enough to get onto the front page of something is, is, is one thing. So you've got the, the sort of, you know, the, the news values. Um, how does something in the arts have proximity, sensationalism, timeliness, celebrity? What are the other three? Richard should know. <laughs> the seven news values for journalism training. <laughs> what are they? Uh, oh, you, you, you would like the microphone next? We will pass it on down. Um, and um, can you pass? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's hurdles to be jumped through before you know the anything in the arts can make the news. And then when it does, it tends to be that kind of sensationalised bullshit of, oh, someone's gone through the list of what was funded by the City of Melbourne this year and have decided to make fun of artists because of the funny title that this project is called. And, you know, lo and behold, the editor will publish that because they have so little imagination or, you know, that's going to fill the news hole. So, you know, that's, that's one issue. Then you've got the issue of how are we going to get the attention of not the arts minister, because the arts minister's already on side. The arts minister, um, uh, you know, has the portfolio. He wants, or she, hopefully, wants to make an impact in their portfolio because that's how they get their face on the news, according to these seven news values. It's the arts minister's colleagues on the front bench who we need to be able to impress. So how do we do that? So there's already these, you know, massive hurdles to, to jump through before we, you know, have, have even kind of had the audience with someone to, to be able to engage with them. And so it seems to me that there's, there's a lot of different ways that we need to do that at the same time, formal processes like government submissions, uh, activism that is uh, honest and timely and effective, um, the ways that we engage the general public, but also the ways that we all together form critical masses. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we absolutely need to do more and more of. Um, so that's my kind of approach to the... Uh, or my, my quick response to completely agreeing with you on how difficult it is. I think, though, that notion of how spaces are designed is really, really fundamental. And remember after... Um, which event was it? Either the, uh, the sort of attack on Burke Street with the guy with the car and then there was another one at Flinders Street Station sort of more recently. And the, the first response that you have from politicians, I'm pretty sure Malcolm Turnbull said this, was we need to look at the design of public space as though the design of public space was what was um, concerning radicalising... Uh, you know, making people ill or making people feel so at their wits' end with their lives, with their emotions, 
with the democratic process more broadly, that they somehow, maybe they snapped, maybe at that moment they felt like this was the only option that they had. If you, if you think that the design of public space is your only option or your first, you know, kind of go-to for addressing that, then what kind of society would we be creating? Um, and I couldn't remember a time when I'd heard an Australian politician say that. I remember finding that really, really chilling. I would expect to hear that in a totalitarian society. I'd expect to hear that in, uh, you know, a place where um, democracy is not synonymous with the architecture, you know, that creates a public conversation. Um, and that's, that's exactly what we're... Uh, you know, what we all need to be focused on resisting, I think. Uh, I would love to have seen the work that your students came up with. That would have been great. Hello. Uh, well, my name is Ernst Fries. Oh, hello, Mr. <laughs> Fries. It is very, very nice to meet you. you. We've had some conversations on the phone. It's lovely to meet you. Uh, well, I'm a sculptor. Yes. For people who don't know me. And uh, I'm very involved with nature, uh, especially the ravaging of nature and how nature is formed. Mm. I have a very close connection with Aboriginal people because they understand nature in a different way to us. And I think we have to learn a lot about their approach to nature, that to our approach. But that's not really what I want to talk about. <laughs> I have certain ideas about what should be done, what NAVA should do. And from my age, well, naturally I'm concerned with artists which are of age. Yeah. And uh, with a new system, well, where you have to superannuation and so on, mm. uh, it is very hard for artists, when they get of age, that they earn a decent living. Yeah. And uh, uh, my experience from Europe is that the government takes over the role of the employer. So that the what the artist puts in to the superannuation, the government puts one dollar for one dollar into the superannuation. Mm. Uh, certainly, there have to be some safeguards because uh, that can easily be abused. But I think another would be the right body to do that, to, to uh, put the safeguards in and even maybe administer this whole system. So uh, that would be a new branch for, <laughs> for now, but I'm extra work for you. <laughs> Another thing from my experience is if you want something from government, well, it's now good just to approach a minister. It's a very wise man told me once, if you want to have something done by the government, how did he, uh, yes, you have to put it as if it's their idea. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, uh, and this can be achieved by not only approaching the minister or the person in charge of, uh, of these things, but by uh, informing all the other members of parliament and say, even if it's only 10% of them, will approach the minister and say, well, look, there is a grievance. Because every one of the backbenchers want to put an idea uh, to the mm. right person. Mm. They want to be seen to do something. And so I think that's a very important thing. Mm. And even if it's a federal matter, it's worthwhile to engage the states as well. So, uh, because the states' ministers meet with the federal, and there can be some pressure. I had some, uh, I had some personal experience in that. Uh, I don't know whether I should uh, elaborate on that, but uh, uh, it worked all right. <laughs> well, I think I've said enough. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you. Of the three things that Mr. Fries just mentioned, so engaging with politicians, superannuation, and then um, uh, Indigenous artists and, 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 and Indigenous Australia, Third, and dealing with them backwards, uh, politicians... Absolutely, we need to, you know, kind of get to know a whole lot of them. And so sometimes you think, well, where do I start? Because there's bloody lots of them. And they're also, um, you know, far away and in different places. But there's a couple of good tips, particularly on the uh, Parliament House website, which is actually quite useful. Because the Parliament House website gives you, on, on one particular page, you know you can download a CSV file of everyone's contact details of uh, labels to put onto envelopes. They've, like they've already got it in label format. Um, you can just send everyone uh, the same letter rather quickly, which is really fantastic. But if you don't want to send it to everyone, you just want to send it to some of them, and how do you know who the arts ones are? There is this program uh, called Parliamentary Friends where there's all these groups which are basically lobby groups. like not Well, they're sort of lobby groups, but it's that... Uh, Politicians like MPs are in these groups. So parliamentary friends for you know mining. There's parliamentary friends for um, Bitcoin. There's parliamentary friends of blockchain. Like there's all these different things. But there's also parliamentary friends for regional arts. Parliamentary friends for music. Parliamentary friends for I think there's like a broader sort of arts one. And you, you can see on the, the Parliament House website the names of the MPs who are in these groups. And so you can just, you know, target these guys, get on the phone, say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm opening a show next week, I reckon you'd really love it. And maybe you could talk about it or talk to your colleagues about it or put it up on your website, here's a media release. And they will because they are the backbenchers who want a good idea to come forward and be the ones who, oh, look, I've discovered this small quirky thing that's happening in my electorate. So, that, you know, there's already that kind of set of hints for who to start to contact and encourage them to contact their other people. Second, superannuation, very important and something that NAVA has been focusing on in the past and we're going to focus on a lot more this year is all the different kinds of um, uh, recognition by the government that artists should have in order to access different kinds of 
payments, be it around things like uh, dole, youth allowance, uh, recognition that arts practice is work for when you're looking for work. Um, superannuation, like, you know, by law at the moment, if you are a contractor, you know, you're an artist who's being, being paid a contract by some institution to do work, they are supposed to pay your super as well. It's not just if you're a paid employee, it is also for contractors. Not many people seem to know this, so we're really trying to, you know, like, you know, this is your rights as an artist. But the other practice we're hearing a lot about at the moment, uh, some of us have talked about this before, is that, um, again, this is the kind of, is it their ethics, as, as, as you were saying, or a, a people institution just haven't got the time to look up, you know, what the law actually is. But sometimes an artist is offered a contract that says, oh, this is, this is your contract fee. Oh, and, and, oh, yes, we're paying you superannuation, but that's included in your contract fee. Well, no, it's not. Superannuation is above the contract fee. You, you know, you can't just say, oh, yes, we're paying it to you, we're just including it. No, they need to, over and above your contract, pay 9.5% to a fund, which is a properly constituted superannuation fund, and they need to do that on your behalf. So, um, it's, you know, that law is there, but the application of it is something that we absolutely have to keep working on and make sure that, uh, that, is, that, that artists have the confidence to actually say, no, actually, you know, I'm entitled and to that, and also that institutions realise that that's their responsibility. And then back to uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the connection to land and to country, I think we've, you know... We have so much to learn and to listen to from elders and from artists. And something that um, we're working on um, of ourselves but also being a part of um, is there are about two or three different national conversations happening among First Nations artists at the moment to develop at the national level um, a self-determined group, a group with, you know, with um, absolute autonomy and self-determination of artists who are coming together to talk about the ethics, the practices, the, you know, what does contemporary First Nations art mean in Australia, in uh, the performing arts. This was um, led by the work of um, a whole bunch of people, Jacob Boehm and Peter White and others who were part of... Um, uh, uh, Oh, I've got the name of the Morum Nimbic, the work that was part of Boy last year, which was, I forget how to pronounce it, and then it doesn't stay in my mind. Um, but it was uh, a couple of national days. And then prior to that, there were also um, a bunch of artists from all over Australia who had come together as part of Arts Front, which was at um, Footscray Community Arts Centre, who have formed a project called First Nations First, and so what NAVA will be doing is looking at ways to collaborate with those but also see whether it's appropriate um, and through the leadership of one of our board members, Amala Groom, who one of you was saying that you have been speaking to, um, to look at uh, what we can do to foster and support that uh, or to potentially host something with a, a, a visual arts and, and, and media and craft focus. But I think at least, you know, the, the longer... Um, the longer that I have tended to have conversations about what is best for uh, Indigenous arts practice, whether it's in the arts or well beyond the arts, um, I just feel like um, the, 
one of the best things that white fellows with resources can do is provide a platform for self-determination. And so that's something that we're going to be looking at uh, a lot this year as well. Would anyone else like to tell us what work they're working on and what might be happening around the first... Oh, excellent. I will pass you the mic. <laughs> so good to see you. Hi, my name's Hello. Claire Bridge. And um, just sort of following up on a couple of conversations, Ruth, for example, you know, talking about refugees. Mm. And it really brings up the issue that the the issues and agendas of artists are often not those of the government and the conversations and, and concerns that we have are, uh, as you also mentioned, are often those that are in opposition or in complete contradiction yeah. to what the government wants to push forward. Uh, my own concerns as an artist, I, I work across a range of disciplines but the focus is always around representations of the feminine, the valuing or devaluing of women, and looking at the rhetoric around that, around uh, environmental issues, around our devaluing of our environment, our uh, abuse and of resources, and looking at how that reflects in our treatment of women and the feminine society, and also looking at that in terms of terrorism and the rhetoric around terrorism. So really looking at how we have that conversation um, when you consider that you know one to two women a week are killed by a, a partner in domestic violence and yet we're not having a conversation about domestic terrorism and yet what happens on our streets and in terms of national t uh, security, those deaths are while devastating, are much smaller numbers, yeah. um, maybe 12 people over the last 10 years compared to, you know, 72 women per year. So the conversation and, and direction of what I do, um, I look at these issues in terms of both the beauty and the violence um, to invite people into the discussion but also bring up the deeper issues that are affecting our society. Um, and I think our how we look at the feminine, how we how we respect or value that also brings up how we look at the other, as you were talking about before, and how we treat the other, anything that we see as less than, whether that is minority groups um, or refugees. So my work actually often crosses into many of those areas because I see all those issues as interrelated. And I guess as an extension of my own interest in that, as I spoke to you before, uh, in 2011 I set up Art World Women, which really looks at raising the profile of women in the arts and looking at exactly those issues and concerns that can uh, advance our careers. So both in my own practice but in action in terms of how do we actually change the system and how do we open doors and bring about gender equality, not just talk about yeah. gender inequity but bring about gender equality. Yes. Yes to all of that. Just while you were speaking, I was thinking about... You just put it in better words, so I'm going to use other words that remind us of what you said because your words were better. But about, um, you know, what, what happens when we look at the political agenda and look at what artists are doing and the way that they're expressing themselves and there's a big mismatch. Um, that, of course, is, you know, like one of our secret agendas for doing this <laughs> Because that's the whole point. The um, you know the, the the most pressing current issues, as articulated through 
what bills are before Parliament next week, uh, it's, uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty sad indictment of a culture. And not because they are boring or uninteresting, but because they don't, as a snapshot, reflect or represent, uh, you know, or inspire the things that all of us in Australia, not just artists... Um, people from a range of migrant and refugee backgrounds, First Nations Australians, um, women who are the victims of a range of different kinds of domestic or other violence, women who are uh, at a place, at, at almost a place of empowerment from that and are looking at finding their networks and, uh, and, and finding that courage. It's not from the agenda of the, uh, you know, list of bills before Parliament at any time that we as citizens, you know, that we as active citizens looking out for each other and creating public spaces, you know, this public space only exists because we're here, not because of how it was necessarily built. Uh, it becomes public when we are here. Um, the, the, the distinction between the parliamentary concerns and, and, and everyday concerns... Um, in one, in, in some senses, what the sum total of artists are working on represents. Um, at least it's a, you know, it seems to me that is something that um, could be an extraordinarily uh, powerful lens or set of perspectives or, you know, some, a set of focuses of, of, of issues, of worries, of, of concerns that have been so pressing for so long that an artist or artists have chosen to make work about them and develop that work, find a way, to, a place to show it and show that work. Um, the putting together of um, um, uh, your project, the writing of your letters, uh, the design um, of the spaces of your students, um, these ideas came from somewhere and um, they weren't necessarily conceived as being as an act of resistance or activism against contemporary, the, the contemporary political conversation. But if we try to articulate what the current national political agenda is, then we might find that those concerns are antithetical to it. And if we don't, if we don't have um, a public conversation that is reflecting the lived experience and concerns of people in our country, then we're constraining, we're shrinking our public spaces. So this is very much, and this is, you know, the first time that Narva will have done something like this. Or if, you know, if we get a few kind of uh, uh, people participating, it'll be, it'll be wonderful. But I would love to see um, a way of being able to then, you know, show decision-makers not just politicians, but others who make policy and make decisions on behalf of other people, to be able to show them, actually, this is what people are concerned about right now. Not um, what's in a focus group, um, but what actually constitutes um, creative current practice. You know, it's... Yeah, I think it, it could be a very powerful moment, Taz. Esther, um, I'd love to talk about where my next show is. Yes. I've got lots of work on the go in my studio. Mm -hmm. um, but 
At the moment, I really feel that Australia is going through a crisis mm. of available exhibition space. Mm. And I think part of the reason for that is that we're in the middle of a massive glut of art prizes. <laughs> and I think... This is my personal opinion, and I'm getting to a point at the end of it. But I think the art prizes have got to a point where they're, they're fundraising from artists, um, not even for the sake of the prize money, which they get from um, philanthropy, but they're fundraising from um, artists. And I know this because I'm on committees and things like that, to really fill the coffers of, of NGOs and... Not for profits. So that's one issue that I have. And, and the, the huge consequence to that for artists is that we don't get the opportunity to have exhibitions where we can develop whole bodies of work, um, where we're stuck entering single pieces mm. to endless exhibitions. And I'm not really that happy about that. Um, also, I think possibly... You know, this isn't a new idea, but something that I, I keep thinking about is a, a great way to lobby the government would be to um, devise some kind of a bill that insists that any new government um, infrastructure that's built or partly government-funded state or federal has to have new art content in it, some specific percentage mm. and um, and then you know further down from that any new um, commercial construction should have to have some percentage of new art content as well and I think that is a way of um, creating more paid work for artists mm. outside of government funding because they're obviously not really that keen on funding us so that's my two cents worth mm. uh, Thank you for that. Just on um, uh, prizes and um, spaces, as in percentages in developments, both of those are on the NAVA policy platform. So um, prizes, there are a lot of issues around art prizes and, um, uh, you know, the, uh, who, who owns the IP, uh, what do you, you know, what do you get for an entry fee? Is, is it in fact, as you say, exactly being crowdsourced by the artists who are the ones who it's there to actually service and support and actually, you know, show the work of? Um, and it's something we have to look at for the revised codes of practice and actually get some guidelines in there. In fact, um, uh, one thing I was just looking at the other day is the uh, Australian Institute of Architects who's um, actually have got guidelines around things like uh, public prizes, commissions, um, you know, procurement and so on. But there's a... Um, you basically, you know, cannot run an architectural competition in Australia unless it's got, you know... Um, uh, and as I said, this, this actually complies with the Institute's rules. And I think that's something that we should have a look at as well. I know there's some issues with them and they need, you know, need revising and so on, but, um, like, how, how great um, that, um, you know, the architects have got a union that is strong enough that, you know, that is, that's what's supported. Um, absolutely, there should be a percent for art component for developments. I, I mean, mean that's... I think it's, it's got to the point, you know, perhaps the, the entry fee is an admin fee of $10 or $15, but the rest should be a, a tax-free donation to the foundation or something like that mm. because, that's you know, idea. that's really what it is. 
Otherwise, you get a tax benefit if you're that, well, that's contributing. Right. That's yeah. right. Because uh, if they have... Um, otherwise, it's just blatant profiteering, yeah. really, at the end of the day. I when think. they have yeah. um, bigger donors who contribute to prizes, then uh, they get a tax benefit. Um, and so, absolutely, everyone should, if that's, if that's what's expected. Yeah, it's... Um, it's yeah. We hear a lot about concerns with prizes, and um, yeah, we we really have to have um, uh, a new look at that this year because it's yeah, it has got a bit much. It has really got a bit much. And then also you mentioned about spaces and like oh my god, you know yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think. One of my biggest uh, frustrations in cities as opposed to regions, because it seems to strangely be more of a problem in cities, is that um, at any one time there is so much vacant space in CBDs. You know, I can name uh, at least a dozen buildings over there that are empty except for the ground floor retail because the ground floor retail can be rented out for... 10 to 20 times what each of the upstairs floors can be rented out for. Like, that's not an exaggeration. And um, there, uh, there is, or possibly there, there used to be, something great here called Creative Spaces that was being run out of the city of Melbourne, um, which was all about, you know, being able to matchmake, I guess, and, and, and to, you know, talk to the owners of buildings and say, hey, you know, you could be doing this with it. Um, I've been a bit concerned about what I've been hearing about the City of Melbourne and their approach to um, arts policy and programs. Um, would love to get in and meet the, the new head of arts. So I hear she's not meeting with industry people and that there are programs that look like they're shrinking or even winding up. And so the, um, the lady who was managing Creative Spaces is no longer employed at the City of Melbourne and neither are the people who were running um, the public art lab, so the work that was all about not just your kind of, you know, shiny plonk art sculpture in public spaces, but actually creating these, like, you know, public lab workshops where artists were encouraged to think adventurously and experimentally about spaces that you might not have thought of as being a place for a project or a live artwork or a sculpture. And that was something that the City of Melbourne had been leading for a while. So people who ran that are also, it seems, gone from the City of Melbourne and a few other programs that I've been hearing about. So um, hey, it's one for both of us, Richard, to follow up. Has she spoken to journalists? No. Yeah. So it's, it, it's a big concern because... Um, um, and I have to say this in the city of Melbourne, which, you know, although I don't currently live here, still very much feels like my home. Um, this is a place that has been a leader of artistic conversations of the role of the artist in creating spaces for other artists, um, of the role of council in opening up spaces that were never spaces for the arts and also the role of council in being a public advocate, um, which, you know, often we underestimate the role of regional councils in doing this. They're extraordinary public advocates for, for the arts and often more impactful than, than cities. But I think the city of Melbourne is, uh, risks being in a, in a position where, you know, I would hate to see them lose the respect of uh, some of the country's most interesting artists. So that's one I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on. And that's the thing about... Um, you know, when advocacy or policy for the arts becomes politicised, whether it's about ethics and, 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 and the sort of ideology of, you know, like, why does government support the arts and, and what are the sort of values behind that? 
it's different for federal, it's different for state, and it's different for local, but they're all equally important. And they all are about, I mean, you know, really at, at, the, at the broadest, the role of government is to facilitate us in creating our culture. That's what government is for. And they can do that, you know, through like roads and infrastructure and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but we also expect um, anyone who is an elected member to have a set of values that are publicly responsive, that mean something to someone and that are about the future and not just about the present and the short-termism. So it's, um, you know, the more public conversations we have, the more we expand um, the public and the political sphere. And it's not just something that happens in government and, and, and for government. Yeah, at least it just seems extremely important to me. Now, how are we doing for time? It is just nearly 20 past, and we said we'd go until half past. Um, who hasn't had the chance to tell us a bit about their work, if you would like to? And there's no need to, because, you know, microphones are very scary, as we've already established. Well, in that case, I will uh, tell you again about what is happening on Saturday at the Collingwood Arts Precinct, which is on uh, Johnston Street. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble remembering this. I just came from there, actually. <laughs> and so this is something that uh, all conferences are running, which is a national network of artist-run spaces, and they are putting together... All sorts of interesting things like an, an archive, a library, just, you know, wisdom and resources on stuff that has been led by artists and also research and policy and so on. So this conversation, uh, which is called Zero Wage, is at 2 o'clock on Saturday. Um, and uh, there is Marnie Badham uh, from Monash, uh, Pip Shea. No, Pip Shea is from Monash. Marnie Badham's from RMIT. <laughs> Um, Marnie and Pip I've admired for a long time, so just getting to hang out with them for a bit is going to be great. Um, oh, and also me. And we're going to look at um, current research, including the Australia Councils, and basically look, look at the connection between research and advocacy. Because, you know, it's like, it's like Foucault says, the truth does not... Un he doesn't say this, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, but the truth does not set you free. <laughs> uh, simply having all of that knowledge... Um, uh, which we've, you know, we've had different kinds of knowledge for some time. Knowledge can be power, but it's all about how we use it uh, and how we enter that into our practice and into our public discourse. Uh, and so having that conversation about the connection between research and policy and advocacy is going to be really, really super interesting. But... Um, from now until next week, just, like, tell everyone about... Um, forming a critical mass, I guess, of all of us talking about what work we are showing or seeing next week. So there is a hashtag, it's Arts Agenda. There's information on the NAVA website, on the M Pavilion website, uh, on all of our social media. And it would just be so, so great to be able to counter uh, the news and media attention of the first week of Parliament with, in fact, what are the passions and provocations and interests and concerns of artists and what are the experiences of us who go and see shows? Um, how are we feeling and reacting and, and responding when we're seeing work that is, that is being shown next week? 
So thank you so much to everyone for coming on this gloriously rainy. I was really enjoying the rain. Um, and it sounds lovely on this roof, which um, I know is also extremely hot on a, on a hot, hot day. Thank you to M Pavilion and, and, and thank you. The others have gone, but we'll sort of thank them later. And thank you very, very much, everyone, for coming. And let's do this. <laughs>